be mess. So, sorry about that. <clears throat> um. This last Saturday um, morning, As, uh, I was good until that song, and then that song messed me up. <laughs> so last Saturday morning, as Carol and I were uh, getting ready to board a plane to visit her ailing father, uh, we got a phone call that, that he had died um, at about 4.30 Arizona time. He'd been battling a, a form of cancer. Um, I, don't know the name of it, geobliastomoma or something like that, but I mean it was a very aggressive form of brain cancer that he had been diagnosed with in March and he had a surgery and radical radiation and chemotherapy and it gave him six more months of life and, but he did pass away last Saturday morning, a week ago yesterday. Carol had two opportunities, my wife Carol had two opportunities to see him before he passed away and on the first opportunity, I was there with, him, with her, and uh, we never really were sure of where her dad, Elliot, uh, stood with the Lord, and so we figured, hey, just like that song says, um, it's, you're going to come face to face to the Lord here. We've got to talk about this. And so on, an opportunity came where I had uh, to talk with him when Carol and her mom were off on some errand doing something, and I had uh, about two hours to talk with him. And Elliot, to begin with, was a man of few words. But uh, this particular conversation would be, I would ask a question, and 30 seconds would go by of dead air. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like that. I mean, you're just sweating bullets. It's like, oh my gosh. And it did not go well, and I was very discouraged. I had to come back a day early in April. We left uh, the end of April, and I was going on our dad's and lad's retreat with my boys. And I was driving in the car on the way out on Friday, and Carol was going to come back one day later. And I remember exactly where I was. I was on 94 where it goes north, that part where you're supposed to go 55, but everybody does about 85. But not me. I do, I do 55 there. <laughs> um, I was exactly there, and my cell phone rang, and Carol said, you will not believe what happened. I was on a walk with my dad, and I asked him, what do you think about what all your, your brother and sister have been talking to you about the Lord, and we've been trying to talk to you, what do you think about this? And her dad turned to her and said, I've been thinking about that. I'm ready to become a Christian. 75 years old, a religious man all his life, had went to church, but had never come to the point where he bent his knee to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. So Carol, on a park bench in Arizona, got the chance to lead her 75-year-old father who was going to die from this cancer soon. We didn't know how soon. She got to tell him about Christ. And right there, got to pray with him, and he bent his knee to Christ right there. Carol had been waiting for over 30 years. I can't look at you. 
to hear those words from her dad. Now, as great as that is, and there was a homecoming on Saturday. He left his temporary home of Green Valley, Arizona, and met his Savior even though he was in infancy with that faith. There was a homecoming on Saturday. Not because he was a great guy or because he was part of the Lions Club. <laughs> no offense to Lions out there, but I mean, and because he went to church. Because he came to a point in his life where he said, Jesus Christ, you're my sin bearer. I can't do nothing that will earn heaven. I need you. I need you to take my sin. I accept that. I take that. He needed to bend the knee of his mind. He needed to bend the knee of his emotion. And he needed to bend the knee of his will. And say, I'm ready to become a Christian. Many of you here in this room are at a point where you're still working through the mind thing. Maybe you're in college and for the first time in your life, you grew up going to church. For the first time in your life, you're asking, is this really, does this Christianity thing really make any sense? And for the first time in your life, you're asking that question. And it's a great question to ask. You have to own your faith. It can't be your parents. It can't be your friends. It has to be yours. You have to own it. And I encourage you. we got a bunch of books out there uh, on, the, on the book book table or whatever we call it, the bookshelves over there. Uh, you can't afford them, take them. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. What Christianity is all about by a guy by the name of Alan Kent Scholes. Um, uh, Case for Christ by uh, Lee. Lee Iacocca. Lee Strobel's. <laughs> Lee somebody. That's good. Fill your mind with that stuff. Christianity is the best worldview in the world. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't be standing here. It is the best worldview in the world. But you need to be convinced of that in your mind. You need to be convinced in your emotions too. You need to not go into it thinking that God is going to trash you, that he doesn't love you. You need to know a bottom line more than anything that he loves you with a love that if you totally grasped it right now, you, 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 your just heart would explode. It would pound out of your chest. But you need to let your emotions get there. And then you need to, and for me, when I was 18 years old, a freshman in glorious Frontier Hall, I had to come to a point where I understood those first two, but I had to come to a point where I bent my knee. Thank you. I had to bend my knee to Christ and using my volition, my will, saying, Lord, I will follow you. I bend, I bend the knee of my life to you. I must look thirsty because I have water over there too. But... <clears throat> um, Now, one of the things that worked in my mind <clears throat> when I was at that point, when I was 18, was a simple little phrase. And, and, and it, it's kind of a nutty little phrase, but it worked for me a lot. And it was this. I said, <clears throat> I, I know, Lord, I want to do that sometime. I want to make that commitment to you. I want to allow you to be the Lord of my life and follow you all of my days. I want to do that sometime, but just not now. When the word now came out of my mind and I was talking to God, when I said now, it hit me. Now hang with me, especially those of you who are freshmen this, or from Wisconsin. This might be a little hard for you to get at first. <laughs> when, I, when, it, when, it, when I said now, the concept hit me that now is always now. Later, if I say I'm going to do something later, when I'm doing it later, it's now, then. Are you with me? <laughs> do I have a graph for those in Wisconsin or something? They could see? It, 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 now is always now. And so it hit me. I thought I might as well do it now. I might as well do it now. 
I'm so glad I did that when I'm 18. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. No, I'm not. Ask any of my family members. They know me. One of the things that bums me out about Elliot, and I'm so glad that he did make a decision for Christ late in his life, but what bums me out a little bit is he was robbed of a lifetime of knowing and following and enjoying Jesus. He was robbed of that. I'm not saying he, he, he wasted his entire life. No, he was a good man. He puts a lot of what I do to shame. Very hardworking, very giving person in his time and efforts and everything. And, and I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear that. But I'm just saying he missed that opportunity to know richly Christ. Now is always now. I don't mean to sound real morbid, but you do not know when you will be done. There's no way I would have said that Elliot was going to die when he did. Now, we knew he was on a timeline. He had brain cancer. But he went from being up and around to 48 hours being dead. 48 hours. Just poof. You don't know when the end will is come. If you're at that point where your mind is there, you're going, I, I buy this Christianity thing. I have no problem with it. And you're at a point where your emotions say, I understand the love of God, but you're not there yet bending your knee. Let me encourage you with something. Now is always now. Do it now. You could even have an interaction with God right now where you're sitting. You could just let your heart be open and say, God, right now, right here, right now, I want you to come into my life. I want to commit myself to follow you. Be my sin bearer. I take your penalty on the cross. I don't want to bear my sin. I'll let you do it. It's, it's as simple as that. It's a transaction you make with, with Almighty God. You do not know when it'll happen. Today we're going to meet someone who might have thought I'll do it later. Today we're going to meet someone to say, I'll bend my knee to God later in my life after I experienced all that this life has to offer, after I sucked out of this world all the pleasure, fulfillment, and have fully experienced the satisfaction that life without God can give me. You might have been thinking, who needs God anyway? I'm a big fish in a very big pond. I don't need God. I won't bend my knee to God until I'm on my deathbed. I'll have time. Let's open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're continuing on in our series called The Church on Fire. We're going to meet somebody this morning. His name is Herod. And we're going to see what God thinks about that kind of lifestyle, that kind of attitude. Let me give you, while you're flipping to Acts chapter 12 or getting that insert or whatever, let me give you a little bit of background of Herod. The name Herod in, in Scripture is a little bit confusing because it was a legacy of people. It, it was just generations of people. The first one, the one you're most familiar with, was called Herod the Great. He was the one around with the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, he had ten wives. I tried to do some research on that and trying to see if they were all after each other. A couple of them he had, so, you know, you don't want to be Herod's wife. But he might have had more than one at a time. And with those, they had many children. Herod, the Herod we're going to look at, is actually Herod the Great, or Herod at the time of the birth of Christ. It's his grandchild. Now, <clears throat> these people were, were head cases, every one of them. I mean, they were, they were politically powerful. They were nuts about keeping their power. And if you came in their way, they tried to kill you. Case in point, number one, Jesus, the birth of Jesus. What did they, they predicted that a king was coming, so what does Herod do? He wipes out all the children. He wipes out all the children of, of the area. Then there's another, uh, uh, another Herod type, Herod Antipas. He's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. 
I mean, why? Because John the Baptist told uh, a group of people that it wasn't right to take your brother's wife. Hello, everybody knows that, but because John the Baptist said it and they didn't like it and you weren't supposed to speak against the, 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 the king or the person in power, you got beheaded. John the Baptist died. And now we see Herod, this Herod, the, the grandson of Herod the Great, nephew to the Herod that, that took out John the Baptist. We see this Herod, and if, if you were here the last couple weeks, first of all, he takes James and beheads him. Then he tries to capture tries to capture uh, Peter. He does capture Peter. Peter escapes. And he is able to, to uh, um, be free from all that. Cor went over that last week with you. This is this Herod that after that, let's look what he does with those people who are watching, who are watching um, Peter in Acts 12, verses 19. He said, after Herod had made a thorough search, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. That is not a job I would want. You want a job guarding somebody and the penalty for letting them go is death. That's, that's what Herod did. Herod was a ruthless, self-seeking, political, big shot that if you came in his way, he would just kill you. Now, if we read the second part of that verse, it says... Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. History tells us that, that Herod was going to the games in the honor of King Claud or Caesar uh, Claudius and Emperor Claudius, Caesar at the time. And, and in AD 44, he went there to pay him honor. Verse 20, he had been, he, now that's uh, Herod, had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Let's just paint the picture here. Here's what's happening. You've got Herod. He's went from Judea to Caesarea. They've got these people from these regions of Tyre and Sidon they are upset with the king. Actually, that word there, quarreling, could better be, uh, be translated bitter hostility or very angry or highly displeased or, I mean, almost making war. And in fact, some scholars think that this did imply that they were at some type of war. And so what they did is they, they did a little schmoozing. They got this guy Blastus, who was in, in good with Herod, and they tried to, you know, we know this guy. How about you get us an audience with the with the king, with Herod. Herod was king over that whole region of Palestine. And there was a lot of tension there. So what happens? On an appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Now this is one of those interesting points uh, because you get the the the. Uh, history of Christianity, which of course at that time wasn't making news in the sense that, you know, we think of hard news today, wasn't political, it was in the religious realm, so it wasn't making a lot of historians say much. Josephus is the one Jewish scholar who was a famous historian at this period. And the death of Herod, which we're going to see he's going to die in just a few verses, the death of Herod is something he records. So we have something right about what happens, about this speech. 
Josephus says these words, and it, it's translated in Old English, so Josephus didn't write in Old English, but that's all, it's the best I could find. It says, here's what he says, Herod, having reigned three years over all Caesarea, and there exhibited shows and games in honors of Claudius, and made vows for his health. On the second day of these shows, he put on a garment made wholly of silver. So he's got this gar garment, it's made of silver. And of a contexture most truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver is gar of, his, of his garment, being illuminated by the first reflection of the sun's rays, shone out after a, a surprising manner, and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those who looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, he is a god. And they added, be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth, only own, uh, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Nor did the king rebuke them, nor reject their impious flattery. But looking up, he saw an owl on certain rope over his head, and he immediately conceived that this bird was to him a messenger of ill tidings, and he fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain arose in his bowels, and he died after five days' severe illness. Herod comes in there. He's got this silver thing on, according to this historian. He looks out the crowd. just sees this brilliant stuff going on. Uh, maybe not having taken physics, understanding angle of reflection equals angle of incidence. But anyway, there's a sun behind him, and they see this, and they say, it's a God. How does Herod respond? Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I don't know how you want to go. I don't want to go that way. <laughs> now, the phrase, eaten by worms, this same Josephus says that he linged lingered for five days, and that the rotting of his flesh produced worms. So somewhere in there, for those five days, he either had intestinal worms or the rotting of his flesh during that time produced, produced worms. Why? Why does an angel of the Lord wipe out Herod? Well, I love when the Bible tells us, because it's clear. Because Herod did not give praise to God. Because Herod did not give praise to God. You know, I got lots of time, Herod says. You know what? These people think I'm a God. This God thing's good politics. People vote for gods. <laughs> I'll just ride this pony a little bit longer. I got lots of time. Oh, do you? Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Right there. The Old Testament talks a lot about what this was like. If you look, at, if you look on your insert there at Isaiah 42, 8, it says, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God will not give his glory to someone else or something else. He will not do it. There's one thing God loves. He loves his glory. 
He loves the radiance of all that he is and you should live every day being in awe of how awesome he is. I was at a church. Uh, I, won't, I won't mention the denomination of the church because I'm going to rip on it. So the, the church uh, in this place was, was uh, 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 a church that it was hard to believe that they actually believed uh, God. And anyway, they, they, the, the front of this church would be like right behind here. Like if that were a window, that big archway there would be this big window and it was showing the, the Madura Mountains in, in Green Valley, Arizona. Just beautiful. There's the mountain right there. And it actually made it very difficult to, to see the person because it was so bright behind them. You know, it's hard to see someone speaking or up front, but it, there it was. And I thought to my mind, I thought, you know, I hope they're not worshiping the mountain. And this church scared me a little bit. I'll be honest with you, it scared me a little bit. They might have worshipped the creation. What that mountain should make you do is turn around and look at who created it. If you get so caught up in looking that as your back is to God and you're falling in love with the shadow that's being cast, what a cool shadow. That is stupid. Turn around and look at what's making the brilliant light. Herod didn't do that. Herod stood there and said, look at, look at me. I'm a God. Instead of saying, God, thank you for giving me this wonderful silver armor or whatever he's wearing. Thank, thank you for giving me this power. I want to give it back to you. You're awesome. Herod would be living probably today even. <laughs> I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. I will not do it. He loves his glory. Or my praise to idol. I want to introduce you to someone from the Old Testament. Another king who had to learn the hard way that God doesn't give his glory to another. The king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. It's right around the sixth, late, latter 6th century B.C. Around the late 500s B.C. <clears throat> and this is the, in the book of Daniel. The, the tribes of Israel have been, have been scattered all over the places. And Daniel and his brothers have been taken and there's a king who came and took care of the rest of the, I mean, uh, wiped out all of the Israelites. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4, Daniel says, this is now Nebuchadnezzar relating his story in some, in some manner. It's going to become first person and third person. A little confusing, but it's basically him speaking. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the keyword glory of my majesty. The, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High excuse me, that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nothing about you, Nebuchadnezzar. I, you're a schmuck. I chose you. you got to acknowledge me. <clears throat> Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. 
At that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and with the people's of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I remember the first time I read that account, that last phrase, that last sentence. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You got two choices. You can be like Nebuchadnezzar and let God do it for you. Or you can say, from the beginning, God, all I have is yours. I bend my knee to you. This is all yours. I want to acknowledge you. You got two choices. But don't worry, it's going to happen. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar got the easier of the two routes. Herod got the harder of the two. God chose that just the way he wanted to do it. Now you might think, well, that's just then. That was to Herod. That was to the Old Testament. Is that true now? Peter says it continues now. In 1 Peter Chapter 5, he says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Think about that for a second. I know uh, some of you are really young in your faith and you're struggling with sins that you, you know, you, th oh, I, you know, I'm struggling with this. I swear, I remember when I first came to Christ, I had a terrible mouth. And I remember playing softball. And I remember I missed a ball, which, you know, happens to me quite often. And just this blue streak came out. And I said, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. I want, you know, work on my mouth here. And a couple more times it happened. I'm like, well, what's going on? <clears throat> and those are deals. You do want to work on those. No doubt about it. But that's not the number one sin in the Bible. Often people think that sexual sin is the number one sin in the Bible. It's not. By far, clearly, the number one sin in the Bible, if you read it, it's pride. Pride is the number one sin in the Bible. It says here that God opposes the proud. Now, let's, let's think of this as a game, okay? You got Almighty God on this side, and you've got you or me and our pride over here. Ready, go. <clears throat> it says opposes. Oh my goodness. If that, even as I say this, it causes me to quake because I think, oh, the last thing in the world I want is Almighty God not on my side. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And it, later it says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Why? So that he can lift you up. 
He's your advocate. That's the options. Opposition or advocate. It's a no-brainer which one you choose. Okay, it's a no-brainer. Choose the advocate. And then he goes on, I think in, in, in a marvelous way here, he, casts, he throws this phrase, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The most humbling thing you can do is sit there and say to God, God, I'm stressed out about X, and you're the only one that can do something about it because I can't. I, I'm, I'm at my wit's end here. You can do something. We've got a skylight above our bed at home. I can't tell you how humbling it is there. As I list the day's struggles as to, excuse me, <clears throat> to God, as I look up at the stars and see the, the magnificence of his creation, and I just sit there and just say, God, you've got to handle with this thing. I can't deal with that. I, I don't know what to do there. I'm at wit's end. You can do it. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, you know what? The last thing I deal with is pride. I hate myself. I think I'm the lowest scum of the earth. You know what the, the definition of pride is not thinking too high of yourself necessarily. It's just being preoccupied with yourself. Some of the most prideful people I know are always inviting me to their pity parties. You don't have to think just highly of yourself like Herod and King Nebuchadnezzar. You could constantly be thinking, oh, I'm no, I'm no good. I'm no good. You're just preoccupied with yourself. God opposes that. Think rightfully of yourself. You're, you're created in the image of God. You're wonderfully and, 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 and fearfully made by God. But you're also completely dependent upon God. Let's finish this account. What happens? In verse 24, we're back in Acts chapter 12. What happens then? I love this verse. Verse 24. Herod is eaten by worms, but... The word of God continued to increase and spread. Luke has a sense of humor, you know? It's like Aaron's over there rotten from the inside and he tried to stop it. Verse 25 says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also card Micah. Herod tries to stop the movement, tries to, he kills James, he puts Peter in prison, Peter, Peter, gets, uh, Peter gets let out, he's standing there, he thinks he's a god, Zappo, Wormo, the word of God continues to spread. Isn't that great? Let me close with a couple questions for you this morning. Something Tim told me. The first time Tim ever led worship was at a... Can I share a story? Ah, like you're going to say no. Um, <laughs> just came to me. That's why I didn't ask before. Uh, first time Tim ever led worship... Someone, someone who went to this church too, and I don't remember who it was. Someone told you, came up to you. Who was it that said that? Uh, last thing the world needs is... Oh, Joe Phillips. Joe Phillips, that's right. Joe Phillips came up to him and said, and he said, Tim, last thing the world needs is one more arrogant worship leader. Not that Tim was displaying any arrogance, but just saying, the first thing you need to know as a worship leader is it ain't about you. First thing you need to know as a pastor is it ain't about you. If you think it's about you, you're in a world of hurt. Because you can be like Herod. You can be like Nebuchadnezzar. And pretty soon, the thing becomes about keeping your reputation good as opposed to preaching the truth. Or I want to make sure I look good. Well, look at me. I don't look good to begin with. So what <laughs> difference does that make? 
Let me ask you two questions here. One, the first question, I want to flip them in the way they're enlisted in your insert. First one is, are you living a life with God opposing you? Some of you are sitting here right now knowing that you're struggling with pride. You think, you think the world of yourself. You think you're better than everybody else in this room, which might be, I don't know. But what's your curve? If Jesus is the curve, sorry, you're a couple standard deviations down already. You're way down. I don't care if you're better than me. Some of you, however, and all of us struggle with this, is it's subtle. It's very subtle. Pride can come in very subtle ways. I was just recently, at, Carol and I were at a, at a uh, two-day retreat for church planters. And uh, there are all these people who are just starting churches. Uh, we were some of the oldest, uh, our church is the oldest, eight years old. But I know a lot of people in the Twin Cities in Minnesota who have been starting churches. And I help them and do anything I can to help and, you know, give, give free advice. It's worth every penny to them. And, and so I get to know these people. And there is a thing among people who are starting from scratch. There's an element of pride that you're always dealing with. Well, how's your church doing? Well, how's your church doing? How's your church doing? Yada, 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 yada. Well, we're great. We're doing this or things are terrible. And as I sat there listening to these people, a lot of them right now are struggling. It hit me for a split second. I thought, hmm, I must know what I'm doing because these guys aren't doing. I mean, they're not doing that well. There's only two of us that the churches were really flourishing out of maybe 10. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. And, 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 and this comes back to me. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It can be very subtle. If you don't laugh at yourself, if you don't look at yourself and say, God, you are just showing the world that even you could use me to do this, then there's something wrong. So I had to, I quickly, I talked to Carol about it. I said, you know what? I may have something to share with these people, but I, there's no way that there's anything special about me. I'm a straw that the Holy Spirit blows through. I don't know why, but he chooses to do that. If in whatever you're in, if you're thinking, man, you know what, I'm, I'm a pretty good engineer. I'm pretty, and I'm glad you're a good engineer. I don't want to drive across a bridge where a guy <laughs> doesn't know how to carry the two or something, you know? <clears throat> I think, didn't we have a Mars probe that went straight into Mars because they didn't convert from meters to feet? Learn to do meters to feet, okay? <laughs> it's a good thing. Be good at that. But acknowledge that God Almighty is the one who allows you to understand meters to feet. God's the one who does that. You're, you're just a straw. He just blows through it. Anything good that happens is because he blows through it. Acknowledge that. That's all. That's all he's asking. He gave Nebuchadnezzar everything back after he acknowledged he's the one in control. And I get to play on the team. That's what he's asking for. Second question, are you living a life where you're allowing God to lift you up? Are you humbling yourself? Literally, to humble yourself here means literally be on your knee. Are you putting yourself in a knee and what God loves to do is says, get up. Get up. He's lifting you up. After you humble yourself, he wants to lift you up. My hope this morning, Hope and Steve and everyone else, is that 
you live a life where you are not waiting to the very end to bend your knee to Christ. You're, you're, you're doing it every day, whether for the first time starting today or for the thousandth time today. You bend your knee to Jesus and say, Jesus Christ, you are king, and I'll live my life in honor of you. Let's pray. Lord, I think of this room right here where people for 110 years have been gathering. And every person who helped found this church building, uh, the old Swedish temple, every one of them has now passed away. Our life is a vapor. Your scripture talks about that, where you, it is, you breathe it out and it's gone. Just yesterday, I was starting the University of Minnesota as an 18-year-old. Lord God, we are not given many days. Some of us will be given more than others. Father, could we use them wisely? Would you allow us to enjoy you to the fullest? Would you allow us to be people who acknowledge you like Peter and James, even though James lost his life? He acknowledged you to the very end. A joyful homecoming it was. I pray that for our family here at Hope. God, that we would be people who acknowledge you. Lord, if there's pride in our life, you've promised, you've promised to humble us. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Oh God, I pray that you would give us grace so that we could do it ourselves and not have to go through the, the incredible things you take us through to humble us. So Lord God, would you allow us even today to start that road of humility where we're not like Herod and we're not like Nebuchadnezzar, but we bend our knee to you. Lord, as we do that, even as we close this with this last songs, God, that, that we would sense you by your spirit lifting us up and holding us in the palm of your hand. Lord, there are people in this room right now that need to feel your presence. They need to know that you're there for them, that you're not in opposition to them as they humble themselves before you. They need to feel you lifting them up and so, Lord, words of my mouth are not going to do that by your spirit. Would you just come, even as we sing these last two songs, would you come and do that? We pray in Christ's name.